Hello and welcome to this week's Statsman Podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knudsen. What's going on here, Ted? We've got new tech. We've got new tech. I feel like an idiot because I'm sat here with a microphone in front of me, which is like, you know, I shouldn't feel like an idiot, but I do. Are you pretending that you don't feel like an idiot in all the other circumstances in life? Uh, I get by. <laughs> I do what I can. That's the main thing. But uh, yeah, and no, I'm actually staring at Ted recording this, which isn't normal. So that's odd as well. As I said, we've got we've got new tech. We're, we're breaking it out. We're playing with it. We're testing things so that James can go traveling around the, the world on walkabout and talking to the people. That's going to be an absolute joy, isn't it? Yeah, interviewing the world about football stats and such like. Uh, we haven't got any movie reviews this week, have we? Oh, oh, but we can tease what's coming next week. Yeah, well, what's coming next week then, Ted? I don't know, James. What's coming next week? I don't know. Some lousy Marvel movie that I'm going to get. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Watch. This is so good. So, so uh, we got to give credit to to Will Gerpen R. Morgan on this one. Um, I I threw it out to to the general audience. Should what should the next movie that we review be? We're going to do this about monthly. It's fun. Why not? Um, and lots of lots of suggestions, many of which are some of my favorite movies that I've already seen. You as film buff Michael Owen, I'm not sure about the status of you having seen these, uh, especially anything that happened be, you know, after 1990. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> knowing that we started with John Wick 3, which basically was the tail end of John Wick 2, I think Will pitched that we should watch a different movie. Now, I want to preface this whole thing by saying, how many Marvel movies have you seen, James? I checked, none. <laughs> so there are like 21 movies that have been released, the biggest IP in the entire world, and James has seen yeah, them. I'm, I'm with Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> on this. This is, this is not my thing whatsoever, but it's taken over the world. I was amazed. Like Endgame's literally like taken more box office receipts than any other film in history, which goes to show that you should never trust the general public in, in anything. But, you know, we'll see. Apparently, So I'm we're going to watch, watch Endgame. Which, you know, appears to be the, the denouement of, uh, <laughs> of, of the entire, I don't know, version of, of this Marvel segment, I guess. And, uh, and James has never seen a single one of the movies. So it's very, very appropriate for us to start there. So presumably they're not going to make any more movies now they've finished this series, Ted. Am I right? Yes, that's how, that's how Hollywood works. Once they finish the series, they never make any more. I was and people movie. are always dead once they die. I've been on the Wikipedia page. There were lots of films scheduled. <laughs> this is typical. Anyway. All right, moving on. Um, allegedly, football's back. Yeah, um, I was quite amused last night. Ted actually tweeted that he was trying out a new, uh, new bourbon or, or, you know, had a glass of bourbon, which purely coincidentally seemed to happen after the Arsenal-Sheffield United match. He claims this was, a, this was you know, purely coincidental. It felt like there was a correlation there between the two events. It was a normal collar, James. Find <laughs> a new slant. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we, uh, I watched it as well. Arsenal-Sheffield United last night. And to be honest, Sheffield United, uh, I made this comment. I think the whole season, you look at their metrics and they just look like, yeah, this is this team's fine. They don't take that many shots. They're quite low, low event kind of shots team. They're, their game's in general quite low event. They don't exceed many shots either. Uh, I think we're looking at kind of 10, 4, 12 against... Which is okay, but their expected goals, I believe, are kind of like fine. Um, yeah, kind of what have we got them at? Just slightly under par, but basically close to average. And when you think they've only just come up this season and, you know, were quite unheralded uh, to land in this league, then it's going pretty well. And their defence, although their keeper's 
probably doing a little bit better than expected at the moment. They're not conceding much. But that isn't the story. This is not why we're talking about this game, is it, Ted? No, 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 no. I think the time has come. Uh, we're about a quarter of the way through the season. Nine games have come. Uh, I've been ducking and dodging the Arsenal issue for a while. And I think that it, it should be addressed in the current context, but also like I think that because we're basically a quarter way through the season, we can finally start to to stand on non-shifting ground when we start to evaluate the teams. And there's actually like some really interesting stuff inside of the numbers that that's worth having a conversation about. <laughs> Namely, what are you looking at? Oh, oh okay. what don't you like? Uh, Newcastle, the worst team in the league. Not a surprise. Yeah. Uh, basically, it was if you hire Steve Bruce to try and keep you and. You know, mid-table in the Premier League, you may not find that to be the best choice. Um, but like, so we've got a couple different types of expected goal difference here. We've also got obvious goal difference. We're using Statsbombs uh, XG, so it's going to look different than a lot of the other companies out there uh, because we, you know, we take out the big chance metric and then we use positioning of uh, goalkeepers and defenders. And when the goalkeeper is not there, you get a much higher chance than when the goalkeeper is but um so anyway can i make my point about that yeah sure go ahead because like we see we see this like you know expected goals obviously get get printed all over the place now which is cool because like you know people are more interested in in advanced metrics and you know even simplish metrics by the scheme things like expected goals but most of the uh, values you'll see are going to be based off up to date apart from our ones which are pr uh, printed on football reference well we don't know what understat is no one knows what understat is. That's the thing. I think we, we know it exists. <laughs> and allegedly, the angry, uh, gilfy tweeter thinks that I own understat, uh, which is um, not true. It's, Categorically. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> the Russian equivalent of Ted Knutson owns, owns understat. But yeah, well, I think we're probably at a stage now where, you, where we, we could probably walk away and say we don't need understat anymore. But yeah, often I find people comparing like all these XGs. And it's like, okay, I think two things. Number one, like if you're going to do analysis, then like, you pick your model and stick with it. <laughs> and uh, number two, I, I think, like, you know, just recognize the fact that, like, we're one company with one set of numbers, and it might be different because we have different ways of collection. So, you know, all the other ones are likely to be kind of lining up in a similar fashion. Uh, you know, if, if you find divergence against our numbers, then that's possibly why. And, yeah, big chances are obviously a big, big factor to all, all kind of models. So, yeah, that was my kind of, like, little small discussion point about expected goals. But anyway... Like, I'm looking at Arsenal here, Ted. Their expected goals aren't that bad. What do you want to rant against Arsenal for? I mean, they're, like, similar to Burnley's. They're way better than Tottenham's, but you're just, you're just not happy. Round about the same range as Wolves, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? But you get belief, you know, Chelsea have, Chelsea have got to this stage where it's like, okay, their metrics are pretty good. And as our man City's and Liverpool's, and then everyone else is in this weird mulch underneath. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it, it tickled me a little bit, Jamie Carragher's comment about, like, they've, They've, Arsenal have had two clean sheets away from home under Emery out of 24 games and his idea that like even by accident even by chance like you might expect to have more clean sheets than just two away from home and yeah I mean if you think Arsenal one of the superior teams in theory in the league over the last kind of like season and a bit you would expect just a little bit more defensive resilience and they weren't actually that bad last night but hang I mean, on how were they not bad defensively Okay. Compared to what we've seen in the rest of the season. I, I just, wanted, just wanted to clarify that because the, <laughs> the attack minus the, the not quite goal from Nicolas Pepe was quite bad. And that was the only chance of any value that Arsenal created all, after, all the evening. And 
ironically, Sheffield United, the only chance they created of any valuable evening they scored. And that can happen when you're in these really kind of like low event games and, you know, one chance goes in. So it was a really good set piece, though. Uh, I, I, someone described it as the most American analysis they'd ever seen, which, <laughs> you know, might be true. But then I had to follow up. I was like, James, does England have a word for pin down, which is effectively what was happening there? It was a screen that made sure that you kind of walled off the defenders from the guy on the far post the, for Sheffield United and then knocked it back across the goal. And James said, I don't think there is. I mean, there may be, but like, I can't. I can't think of anything. See, so we have to use American words because English, the Queen's tongue, does not have words for these type of There's actions. probably a German word for it. I mean, Well, yeah, I mean, there's a German word for everything. <laughs> so, so Der pin down. <laughs> <laughs> that might be it. Anyway, we, as we talk on, uh, on about Arsenal, you still haven't really kind of waded into them as I was expecting. So, Okay, so, you know, there's, there's some frustration here. Um, but like, let's start out with the defense, right? So look, sorting them by defensive metrics uh, against them, right? Um, so we've got Manchester United that basically have had the best defense in the, in the league so far this season. Uh, that seems to have come at the expense of the attack, which is probably not ideal for people who have season tickets at Old Trafford. But nevertheless, uh, you give them a little bit of credit for that. Arsenal's defense in terms of expected goals is what, eighth, somewhere around about? So like, you know, around about mid-table, uh, the teams around them are Wolves, um, Manchester City, who have no center backs, uh, and still play pretty good style, Crystal Palace, uh, Sheffield United, like, and, and Everton, kind of in that range. So they're, sli- they're just above league average. Absolutely fine. Now, when we came into the season, what, what was I excited about? I, I had a little bit of excitement about this Arsenal team because I thought that there was a style of play that they could execute and would be enjoyable and probably would yield them results. Did you? High, like high pace. Right, I, okay. I thought that they were going to play an attacking game. They've got better attackers and, and a generally sort of high-paced type um, game would give them something useful and and because you've got plus ev attack you know even if you're trying to to goad your opponents and into playing your style of play like per every possession if your attackers are a little bit better you hopefully are able to to get a little bit of edge in in playing that style what style do arsenal actually play yeah kind of it seems to be a bit more kind of looking at counter-attacking in ways they seem to be sitting so deep and it's weird you look at their squad and you think like I mean, I think they've missed Lacazette a little bit in, the, in recent weeks. He's pretty useful, and so obviously Aubameyang is a top-class finisher. But then, with Pepe not quite getting, you know, hitting the ground running, I, I, what I've seen, I'm not wildly impressed by him. But I think he's, he, it's too easy to say like, oh, it's not going to work out for him. He, he just needs to hit, hit the back of the net a couple of times, and he'll look, he'll look great. But <clears throat> it suddenly feels like where's the, where's the depth? I mean, you've got these kids coming through like Saka. Uh, who else is coming through? Uh, Willock, you getting minutes, and I don't know. Why do they sell it over if you're gonna if you're gonna give it give you minutes to eighteen year olds? It, I I don't know. You want to bring these kids through, but it feels like they've 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 got into the first team a little bit ahead of pace, and you know where's but not with where's yielding any results. Right, hmm. right. So they're in the first team, and they seem like they they might be pretty good, pretty interesting, but. They're there, I think, basically because of the absence of anybody else. And, and that, that's an issue. Like, looking at Pepe's output this year, 
you know, he's been just a bit above league average, I think. And and yeah, if you if you combine attack and defense, he's probably a, a little bit better than that. Certainly, he's a good dribbler. We knew that. That part was obvious. The question was whether he would yield, um, you know, attacking and especially goals in the absence of like a ton of penalties, which which helped fuel him last year and also seemed to have fueled his price. And you know, so far it hasn't happened for him. And I think that there are flashes there, but whether that's going to be enough, yeah, so be it. But I'm not, I'm not here to like slate him. I'm here to just, I'm frustrated. And Arsenal fans are frustrated. I'm, after nine games, you know, you look at the expected goal difference and what do we got? We've got Arsenal in, yeah, right about league average. Uh, and that league average is drug way up by, by the fact that Manchester City are there. Uh, but they're right around Southampton, uh, right around Wolves, again, Burnley, the the embattled Everton it's a uh, it's not good and and here's the the thing that's frustrating like we looked at, at this team we looked at the attack we said that you know this style of play may, might make sense I expressed huge frustration over the summer with the fact that Arsenal seemed to punt like the first half often like oh we're just going to settle in the first half and then make big adjustments in the second half well if you're a better team that's a really stupid way to go about it because basically you're conceding half of the likely advantage and the time that you have in order to score those goals and it causes problems on um on the scoreboard now obviously you know you know that spurs are also having problems and if we look at the the metrics spurs are like what six seven <laughs> From the bottom, <laughs> Spurs managers are awful. Yeah, they're really they're bad. Absolutely terrible. They didn't really improve. The only thing you could say good about the Watford game is that, that like they didn't actually give up lots of chances. But then they did give up a few kind of like dynamic runs through the middle that could have ended up a lot worse than they actually were. I mean, yeah, Tottenham's Tottenham's a, a completely separate crisis. And uh, well, I mean, I think Tottenham are in worse shape than Arsenal right now, just because like there's just unhappiness abound. Uh, Arsenal, Arsenal's is just a kind of like head scratcher. Arsenal's unhappiness feels mostly with the fan base and less yeah, directly yeah. from the, the yeah. locker room. Yeah, you don't necessarily <laughs> get vibes out, out of the kind of like, yeah, the you know, dress, dressing room that um, uh, you know, Emery's like not not liked or his, his tactics are disliked or anything like that. Um, it does feel like the squad, I mean, they have got, they, these young players do look promising, but it just feels like too soon for them to be kind of like getting so many minutes that they are. And I just, I just don't know where they are with the kind of with the kind of rebuild. I even feel slightly that Manchester United's inevitable rebuild makes a little bit more sense to me, even though I think they've kind of like passed on uh, a situation where they could have brought in one or two more attackers, and then they have you know a bit of injury bad luck that's, that's cost them there as well. You know, Pogba hasn't been that seen that much. Martial's been out for quite a lot, but yeah, with Arsenal, it just feels like. I don't know where's the, where's the plan? Are they any any more forwarded on a year on from you know appointing Emery? The results are kind of meandering. They can't attack. <laughs> I, I watch them and I watch the spacing and the spacing is just constantly wrong, and they can't seem to to high press that well either. Like they they mostly want to counter against every team. Like Sheffield United, you're countering against Sheffield United. I'm really and and that's another thing that that I think really frustrates the fans. Like. Basically, he's taken a team that expected and was always really good, like Spurs actually have been, at getting the goals and the results against the worst teams in the league, right? And he's turned them into battlers. Every single game is a battle. They never seem to go in and just play like the dominant team 
against any of these teams in the Premier League. And boy, is that frustrating as a fan. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you look at the, the, the richer teams in the league and you think, like, what's the difference? And I think Arsenal and Tottenham are both kind of like being bailed out a little bit by just the, the talent in their forward lines. Like, there are always, there are, there are goals in, in this these teams at times I mean you might be down to a Aubameyang and you know maybe Lacazette to get them but you know these are these are really top class forwards watching Sheffield United last last night made me think like you know what would you do if you got the Sheffield United and you actually like inserted like some really top tier t- like talent if you could somehow find you know out of uh, another division like a top tier forward uh, and put it in like Sheffield United's team like you know how, how far could they like look upwards Chris um, Chris Wilder, like one of the the top three English managers right now. I, you, you have to say that, right? Like that team plays like a team with a plan. He gets as much as possible out of the resources at hand. Now, to be fair, like he does recruit these resources, right? They they, they have corresponded to his recruitment plan. Uh, they don't have that much money. They just resolved an ownership issue this summer, which was kind of a fascinating thing. Like go out and find those stories because it's a it's a funny behind the scenes thing that. Uh, ownership is always a, a funky thing and there's always these weird stories about about teams so i'm not going to delay us too much on that one but the the thing about arsenal is like they can't attack like they did with with arsene wenger they basically defend like they did under wenger and they seem to sacrifice a lot of the fun and and the dominance that they potentially had in in exchange for nothing and and that's the big problem so my question for you is when are results going to start to catch up? Nine games, not a huge sample. You hear the same stuff from us all the time. If we look at just expected goal difference right now, the table looks like this. Uh, Manchester City are almost a goal ahead in XG, right? Liverpool might be better than XG. They might be spoofing the... Because of their style of play, they might be spoofing the model. And they spent a lot of time ahead as well. So they, they That's very, very useful. Haven't actually had to... Chelsea are right there. Which does not bode well for my 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 bet with you, but um, <laughs> moving right along, and then United. But like you know, the question is, United have had a couple of penalties, a few penalties this year, seem to generate them pretty regularly. Have not always scored them, which has caused problems in the in the results. But you know, if you throw that out, then United are actually negative in their in their goal difference. So like you know, the the, the lack of attack for Manchester United is certainly causing problems. But then, so like we're at the fifth team. So out of the top four, we've got Everton, Burnley, Wolves, Arsenal, like dead even. Southampton also dead even at league average. Leicester a little bit, but Leicester have that huge non-penalty goal difference. Uh, um, and, you know, they, they may be riding a little bit of love. Yeah, no, I think they are. And it's, in- it's interesting because everyone's like dead set. They're like, oh yeah, Leicester are going to be, you know, going to stay in the top four and or, you know, be the team that challenges in there, and there's no reason why they wouldn't. But like metrics-wise, I think we're getting a little bit excited there. Um, their goal difference is running a little bit ahead of their actual like expectation. So, you know, that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But like other teams as well, I can't even think who who's going who's going to be like eyeing up the top four right now. It's weird. Like there there isn't like a kind of Leicester almost like in that position through default as being like the one team that looked like it's got its shit together and like could actually like be sustain some kind of challenge at the top you know, but the, the metrics are quite skeptical yeah but then there's not like there's not like a team that you look at the metrics you're know, like oh yeah yeah they're, they're the ones that are going to like push upwards it's true. so i guess to some regard you figure that like manchester united arsenal and tottenham like just through talent alone should manage to kind of um right themselves at some point so um, frustrating though <laughs> if, if that happens it's going to be really irritating <laughs> but 
yeah, but at the, at the same time, there's not like like reams of evidence to say that like these are anywhere you know near kind of like uh, the the other top three. So let's dig a little bit deeper though. Uh, league table still lying after nine games. Uh, there are strength of schedule issues inside of the the XG numbers. There are uh, you know potentially penalty issues inside or red card issues, whatever. But nevertheless, so we've got all these teams. Uh, you know, there seem to still only be two really good teams, but Chelsea have crept up in there. They might even be better than um, than their results thus far, which would be impressive. United have not been bad. Uh, question is like sustainability on the the penalty side, but. Let's flip it around. Let's look at the bottom of the table and the actual bottom of the table versus who do we think is in trouble versus a little bit safe. So the bottom of the table right now, Watford on four points, horrible start, not a win yet this season. Norwich on seven, uh, minus 11 goal difference. Fun to watch. Uh, busy games. Uh, Newcastle are on eight. As we said earlier, expected goals think they're the worst team in the league. Uh, Southampton also on eight. Brighton on nine. Uh, Everton, 10. Manchester United, 10. You can see how different the, the, the table is versus the, the expected stuff. Uh, Wolves on 11 with about 5,000 draws. Uh, and then Aston Villa, West Ham uh, up through number 11. So that's the actual league table. Looking over the expected, what do you see? Yeah, uh, Newcastle look worse than everyone else. West Ham look oddly bad. And I, I commented on that quite recently. Their defence has just got this weird thing where they're just not... I think I said it on last week's podcast, actually. They're just not... Like, just ship, shipping like, lots of shots in dangerous places, which doesn't look like a good strategy for them. I, th- I think they're also... That, you know, that, that city headache... Is, is there they had that really so basically that's in the numbers it's baked in yeah, the numbers. yeah but we thought that for a while and it's like it doesn't seem to be baking itself out of these numbers yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay that that might be true maybe that idea was half-baked as it were i think the most surprising result of the of probably surprising result of all time over the weekend was bournemouth nil norwich nil like <laughs> there's gonna be goals in that game surely like, and there weren't no was, goals and there were very few shots in the first half of that game i think norwich had a, a stronger second half and kind of like uh you know took a few shots but half time i think it was only like six shots in the entire game which is just not what you'd expect but then hopefully that's a good thing because like you know norwich have potentially been a little bit open up till now and you know could could do with closing it down but bournemouth bournemouth, bournemouth are interesting because they've generally got results against uh you know teams Teams classes, you know, maybe especially level at home. beneath. Yeah, exactly. So to, to kind of like give up points you know, to Norwich is interesting. Villa have kind of like had a few games where their their attack's been really quite good. And you know, if you look at their expected goals, they're they like a lot of expected goals for and against. So that that is very Dean Smith. His his <laughs> teams uh, basically play in track meets, and and sometimes that that yields really good results, and sometimes it yields bad results. But nevertheless, like a lot of up and down, and they like. In expected goals terms, they're like 3.1 uh, a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is, which is <laughs> it's, it's a lot. A lot. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone else. The opposite of that, that is Leicester, who are basically at two a game uh, in terms of expected goals. Like Manchester United, also like 1.87. Uh, so yeah. if you're betting on totals, which we're not a betting podcast, but nevertheless, we keep an eye on this stuff. Uh, those those are kind of the extremes in the league. That was something I noticed quite recently as well. You've got teams like Burnley, Sheffield United, Man, Man United and Leicester, all kind of like quite low walls as well. Palace, maybe all quite low event, like, you know, not giving up lots of chances, not really got stellar attacks either. And they're kind of, 
you know, eking out these, eking out results, quite a few draws. I mean, there's quite a few draws in the league this season, actually, just looking at it. I mean, well, and, and part last, of that's events. Yeah, was it last season? One year there was, there was last year there were almost not any draws. Like Spurs, Spurs <laughs> the only reason why like Spurs were way up where they were because they never had any yeah. draws and they just had a ton of wins that they tacked totally. on. Totally. And if you like, you know, if you simulated Spurs' games last season, you'd be like, yeah, right, well, we got a few draws because, like, logically, you would have a few draws. And uh, it was very no, odd. no, you can avoid them. They're, they're active choices. <laughs> yeah, I mean, winning games, good play. <laughs> but like looking down at the bottom I mean not yet Newcastle, Newcastle are odd because they've like had a couple of really good results and then been generally mediocre otherwise Watford look like an okay team but just can't buy a win um, Norwich so- and Brighton are, are two that are down in that space um, you know kind of had come up in, in recent years like Brighton always felt like a little grindy results have been pretty good again it's interesting to see that team start to shape up but the these are just the numbers these are objective ones and then bournemouth you know like minus 0.3 but there's this other end of the spectrum and and this is where you're talking about sheffield united look entirely competent they look like a a team that that should finish in kind of the the 9 to 14 range and villa also so thus far have looked very competent palace always look that way like it doesn't doesn't matter you could have three or you could have 11 stuffed straw men out there and roy hodgson would navigate that team to 12th <laughs> but uh, you know Leicester's there Southampton also there so South- Southampton's numbers uh, seem to be flipped a little bit by by penalties as well um, uh, and mostly penalties against them so it's it's you know it's still very early we think Newcastle are terrible but everybody else uh, it's hard to say isn't it like I, I said before the season like Graham Potter going in at Brighton was you know an interesting an interesting move and you know I actually would like him to do quite well maybe it's worth 3-0 I mean make of that what you will but metrics wise they don't look they don't look that good and i think i said i i wouldn't be surprised if they ended up anywhere between like 25 and 50 points it was that kind of like i just don't know how this is going to work don't tell grace (laughs) new style of football how's it going to work how are they going to put it together and right now uh nine games nine points now i mean there's a lot of teams what (laughs) nearly half the league is within like kind of one win of that and that's, that's the thing. It's still so early that, that like one win will actually make a, a big difference. But then if you look at, say, Man United, you look at Tottenham, basically a quarter way into the season, you've got 10, 12 points, a little bit of uh, fag packet maths, and you're looking at, like, well, they're not going to get 70 points this season or whatever unless they really go on some kind of insane run. I mean, already it feels like, you know, they've, the, the start of the season for these teams has been a bit of a wash and, you know, they you figure they may come good at some point, but they're really going to have to because, you know, we, we've given up a lot of games already. And it had, the, where they've dropped points, it hasn't just been a case of, like, say, Man United or Tottenham, like, dropping points against, you know, rival teams where you can say, like, okay, well, that's the way it's going. They've been dropping points against teams that you would, you would expect them to actually, you know, beat or, you know, at least hold more readily than they have done. So I think the Arsenal thing still feels like your fans are kind of following the trending. And, and Emery had that first year and even like there, there were a bunch of signings this summer that you know, seemed to solidify things a little bit, right? So the team definitely feels like it got better. It's got more talent than it had. You're cycling through some guys. 
but you're not seeing the play improvement. And this is all this time that Emery has had to work with, with this team. Like he brought in some of his own, own people or, you know, people that were recommended to them on the defensive side and they're just not getting better. And, and scrappy is not, I think an acceptable outcome for an Arsenal team. Like that's not something that, that fans want to accept, nor should they. And to some extent, that's not something that Manchester United or fans are interested in either, but that's almost exactly what they have. I watched you know last night's match and Chambers was out there and I thought he played quite well. He should look quite neat on the ball, but there's still that question of like Chambers is playing. Chambers is still like part of the like you know the the setup here. Tierney's not getting time. Uh, Chambers is there. Bayerine was was not. Uh, you know he's still coming off of a long term injury, so that that might be it. But you know Tierney not getting cycled in. Glasnich did have the the best sort of created chance for Arsenal like on a, on a wide run that got crossed into the center. But again, these are not valuable ways to play. You know, it's not a cutback. It's a, it's a pure cross that, that zipped through. I guess we'll, I guess we'll see how it progresses because, you know, uh, obviously Tierney's been out with, with an injury and, but he's played some Europa League and stuff. But it does like kind of ask the question of like, you know, is the manager joined up with the, um, you know, with, with the, player purchases when they signed Tierney and he's he's been so slowly integrated and Kolasinac is I mean I'm, I think there was something about Kolasinac saying like he's, he hasn't any reason no reason for him to lose his place so he's sure so he's, so he's playing yeah. and it's like okay you've got you know two left two left backs you've paid quite good money for Tierney you probably do want to play him but then you only a year before you bought um you, you know you bought Kolasinac you, I, I could throw that to Man United they like, did the sign him on a free <laughs> what true but then, like, you know, Man United, when they went out and sort of signed Wan-Bissaka, like, a, a year after buying Delow, and it's like, okay, I guess you do, do need two right-backs, but, like, is this the joined-up philosophy? It's, it's of- a lot of resources in, in one space, and, yeah, I mean, and, and people didn't think that Delow was, or Delot, however we pronounce it, it was bad. Uh, and so that, that was an interesting one too. I don't know. So like, let's, let's use that as an excuse to talk about the, the old Trafford game this weekend the biggest game in the Premier League every year, right, James? <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. I was, I was, there were a few, I think there were two schools of thought on this. Like, it was like everyone who isn't a Liverpool fan was just like, this was boring. And then everyone who's a Liverpool fan was like outraged at the, at the foul uh, ahead of the Man United goal. And then it was just all this horrible misery of VAR discussions and stuff, which I can freely admit I contributed to. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was an interesting game, and I think it was, I I was quite impressed how strong Liverpool came on late and like last ten minutes, um, it just felt like it was like right, okay, Liverpool made the right substitutions. Man United are running out of ideas; they don't know what to do, and you know that even though it was only one chance and they scored it, it just felt like Liverpool were coming quite dominant. Your boy Naby got on the pitch and like made an insane amount of passes in like ten minutes, like as, as many passes in ten minutes as like Henderson made all afternoon. He, he had like <laughs> the Mario star, uh, so he, he was yeah. It, it had been a while. We're still rooting, still rooting for him to actually like come good in this team. And this, and this match was straight out of the Jose Mourinho playbook, though, right? <laughs> yeah, like, it was, you're yeah. you're facing a good team. Turn it into mud. Like make sure that nobody can progress. There's only 17 shots in the whole game, mm. and like there is that excitement that it's still like a big game and in everybody's mind is a big game. These are probably the two biggest all-time clubs in England. I'm almost certainly. And, and you know, the fans are behind it. Like they, they love to hate in, in kind of this matchup and it, it's always a, a fun atmosphere either here or 
uh, or in Liverpool. But like it very rarely ends up being a fun atmosphere on the pitch because like often there's something riding on it. And you know, Liverpool are, are so good nowadays that you kind of feel like you have to gum up the game a bit to, to shut them down. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> if my team could win 17 games in a row, I think I'd probably be a bit more chill about my the 18th game ending up as a draw. <laughs> chill has never applied to the Liverpool fan base in any sense. We love you, Liverpool fan base. We do, but like you guys are not chill, okay? Like, no. Chill is not involved in your lexicon as fans. It is not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, that, that was the thing. that Their streak has now ended. Imagine the world will collapse around them and we'll see Liverpool... Plummeting down the table. From United here, had a crazy number of pressures in this game. Like they had 240 <laughs> pressures. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, they only had about a third of the ball, so like that's a lot of time to make to <laughs> to, to press. Uh, so Liverpool, with like you know two thirds of the ball, still pressing like 138 times. It really does tell you how much energy was being expended on the defensive side of the ball there, and yeah, that kind of reflected in the in the numbers. Yeah, too. I spotted that. I think Fred led the way with like 52, which is pretty high, like even by our by our measures of like you know kind of. How many pressure events? The maligned expect, Fred. Expecting again. Yeah, I mean, the dude put a shift in. And they, that, but that's that's one of the things. I mean, there's, you know, elsewhere you can get kind of like access to like running data and stuff. And that's, that's one thing. But like, pressure events are quite a useful way of just understanding like, you know, how a team is set up and like whether it really has kind of like, I guess, you know, put directed effort in is, is the best way of describing it. Because, um yeah, I mean, someone someone like Fred, you might not necessarily have, he might not have stood out for you at all in that in that game. But if you review it and you look at the, you know these kind of measures, you think like, okay, you know, I can't. He might not have you know lit lit the game up with his passing or anything, but he certainly did put you know a lot of effort in in that midfield. And you probably have to do that against Liverpool. You know, people people thought that Liverpool's midfield. It was like Liverpool's midfield gets so much criticism. It, it makes me laugh. Like Vinaldum, uh, Henderson. Um, uh, Milner, Fabinho less so, but like you know, but I think Van Alden and Henderson like attract criticism quite frequently, and it's it's comical really because you think like, okay, this is a team that you know went through a whole league season losing one game. This is a team that uh, you know just won the Champions League after getting to the final the season before. Like whatever you think it's about, it's a team them, that had <laughs> seventeen wins in a row. It's <laughs> yeah. a team that was at the top of the league table <laughs> by like eight points going into the weekend. Yeah, you can you know you can rag on these dudes, but like. There's something working here. It's not just the other eight, nine players like in the, the team. The sum of the parts uh, has turned them into a really <laughs> impressive hole. But nevertheless, if everybody's not scoring goals at all times, then, <laughs> then it feels like there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it's, it's kind of funny. But so, like, you know, seeing that game, the Man United game, seeing them being kind of like having a quieter game, shall we say. Um, Funny, Vinaldum, someone who I've, I've got had my eye on for a little while. Because I'm, I'm curious because he just doesn't hit any kind of like obvious stats checkpoints, and it's like you know what 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 is it about uh, Vinaldum? And uh, he's he's quite often when you do look at pressure events, Vinaldum, someone who's who's like less active pressure-wise in games. Now in this game, he was I think one of the top two players uh, for pressure events for Liverpool. So it ebbs and flows. It's it, it's high, it's really hard to get a, a full handle on like you know what exactly what someone like Henderson or Vinaldum is doing all the time. But then I, I would be very reluctant to be very particularly critical of either of them because, you know, they've been, they've been consistent members of a very good team for a very long time. Indeed. Uh, all right. So 
couple quick things. One, we have, uh, we're starting to release videos, I think later today from our conference and those will go up on the StatsBomb YouTube channel. They'll also be posted as individual posts um, real quick on the um, StatsBomb.com website. James released the, the four research papers we've gotten so far. We'll yep. host those for the long term as well. And, uh, and a quick shout out to Brentford from this weekend, who managed to, to come back from an 0-2 deficit, having missed an early penalty, uh, to have 23 shots, 10 shots on target, and win 3-0 in the 94th minute. Uh, nice to see the bees get back on track. You know, still, still a little part of my heart that lives there. It's the last season of Griffin Park. Did you know, James? Is it? Yes. Uh, Brentford's social media tells me that every single time. Soon it'll be the last Boxing Day ever at Griffin Park. And then it'll be the last, I don't know, well, I mean, Halloween is going to be there. I don't know if they have any special events, but you can feel them ringing the sentiment out as much as possible and turning it into pound signs. Champions League's coming this week, so uh, we haven't really mentioned it at all, but that'll, that'll just Nobody shuffle all the... cares. That'll shuffle all the lineups and make everything a little bit confusing. Tottenham sure. could do with a win, is all I'll say to that. And uh, they're playing Red Star Belgrade, so... I'm perfectly happy for Tottenham not to get a win. No fun. No fun at all. All okay. right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And if we have to record this again, blame the new machine. Yeah. Cheerio, boy.